0: Bibles and uh, open up to the book of Joshua, if you couldn't tell that by that brief sermon bumper, and uh, if, you are, um, if you don't have a Bible with you and you're here in person, you can grab one of those pew Bibles and it's page 210 on your pew Bible, um, you can turn there, I want everyone to have a copy of God's Word and be looking at it, okay? And uh, while you're turning there, one of the things that I want to make you aware of that is a resource that is available to you as we are in the uh, second week out of uh, in our Joshua study. We're really just getting going is um, this is a curriculum that I write each week in tangent with my sermon, um, and those are available each week at Centerpoint. And those of you online with us, we actually have a fillable notes link in the video description. If you click on that link, it will open up a form that you can fill in your notes and uh, then download a PDF of those after the fact. Um, So take advantage of that, too. And this is meant to be twofold. One, it is meant to be a way for you to kind of follow along with the theme and the focus of the message. But even more importantly than that, this is meant to be a resource for you to go home, open your Bibles and study scripture outside of Sunday. All right. This is usable in any format you'd want to do it. Okay, you could have a small group of people that you meet with and all you need is your Bible and this outline and you can go through it. You could if you if you and your spouse Do not have any regular devotional time together and you are looking for something to do. Grab one of these and start here. Um, If you want to get together with some friends and say once a week we're going to get together, you can refer them to the the podcast audio or they can rewatch the video of today's service and then you guys can sit down and have a discussion about this. The whole point is that we want to equip you and resource you to take this, open God's word on your own, study God's word beyond just Sunday morning and grow in Christ. Okay, so that's available to you. Those of you here, you can stop at Centerpoint and pick one of those up online. You can click the link that says sermon notes and you can open it there It'll also be available on our website, so if you want to print some additional for other people to see, it'll be there as well. Really good uh, opportunities to just delve into God's Word even further. But we're going to be in the book of Joshua for really about 12 weeks total. So um, we're going to be in Joshua, and then after this, we're going to shift over and we're going to go through the book of Philippians in the, the rest of the year. Just to give you an idea of where we're headed in the, the rest of 2021, which is going by quickly. August is here, and uh, so we're, we're, we're going to be in the fall real soon. But before we d- jump more specifically into the text, I want to start by bringing uh, this kind of back to our level and setting the tone as we jump into this and talk about this. So I'm going to need some response from from you guys here. Uh, what are some of the most common fears that people have? Just yell them out. Spiders. spiders! You know what? That was the first one in 8 a.m. service too. And if you look at any list, it is the number one. Like, consistently, there are a lot of people scared of spiders. And in our house, that's a bit of a problem because most of our family is scared of spiders. So when there is a spider in the house, it's a debate on who's going to have to deal with it. Okay? All right, spiders. What else? Snakes. Yes, also another one. Um, I had this terrible situation uh, last. I, it was. I think it was last fall. So not not. So 2020 fall of 2020. I was opening the machine shed to get a piece of equipment out, and I was sliding the door sideways, and this snake ran across my foot, and I screamed like a little girl. I seriously did. It was one of those moments I was really glad that no one else was anywhere around, but it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Oh, it was awful. It wasn't even that big. It was only like this long, and it was this tiny garter snake. Like, it, w- it wasn't doing anything, but the unexpected of having a snake run across your foot, no, no thank you. Okay? Spiders, snakes, what else? Wait, 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 wait. I heard chickens. Was that you, Lori? Is that you? <laughs> okay. Chickens and turkeys. Okay. All right. That's a new. All right. What else? What are people. Wait. What was that? Uh, ice? Oh, I think you said ice. I'm like, wait a minute. All right. Heights. Yes. People are scared of heights. It's kind of interesting on that one. When I was in high school, I wasn't scared of heights at all. But then I had a family, and it was like all of a sudden, I get up high. If I'm not strapped in, my knees get real weak and wobbly. <laughs> okay. All right. What else? Oh, I heard clowns. Bats, yes. That, that's another good one. Yes. Okay. Clowns. Public speaking. This, that's another one that's really common. Okay, and in fact, so funny story with that public speaking, when I was uh, all the way, really as a young kid, all the way through high school, there were three things I hated most reading, writing and talking in front of people. And guess what I do the most of right now? (laughs) So God has a sense of humor in that. But most people, there are a lot of people who are terrified to get up in front of people. I know several of you who've told me, I'll do anything behind the scenes, but you don't dare put me up on that stage. Noted, okay? Now, we could, we could go on and on about this, okay? Some, some of you have some really strange fears, okay? Some, some, that, that would be general, but you've highlighted a majority of those. If you were to sit, sit down and Google or search what are the most common phobias that people have, you've listed a lot of them. And in fact, I think you've hit the top five or six almost across the board for mankind in general. But the older I get, the more interested I become in the fact that we are all prone to identify kind of these subtle fears that we have. But we're often unwilling to publicly acknowledge those things that cause us truly the most fear and anxiety. What do I mean by that? I mean, fear of losing someone close to us. I mean, fear of others' opinions about us. Fear of the unknown or the uncontrollable situations that we may face, that you may be facing right now. Fear of failure. Fear of letting someone down. So instead of acknowledging these things, which we're going to admit we struggle with, that whether we struggle with that alone or isolated, or we have some kind of community that we can share those fears or anxieties with, we struggle with this. And instead of acknowledging this, what what do we do? We get up, we put on a happy face. And we step into our job, or we step into parenting, or we, we step into our uh, retirement lifestyle, or we step into our daily routine, whatever season of life you're in, and we, we try to convince ourselves that I'm fine. I'm good. Life's good. Everything's fine. And in fact, we're probably some of the most guilty people of doing that right here. Right? In, in, in this space, we come to church, we walk through the doors, and we, we see all these people. Hey, how you doing? Oh, what do we say? Good. Oh, I'm good! I'm great! Life's good! And internally, we're still trying to figure out if this day is going to actually be a good day, or if it's going to let us down like some of the past weekdays have. Right? And so we almost convince ourselves that it's okay, you know, I'm scared of spiders and snakes, but the thing that I'm most scared about, I'm just not going to make it known. Now, where we left off in our story in Joshua, and where this comes full circle, is Joshua has just faced the death of Moses, and really all of Israel has. And if we don't see that as significant, I want you to stop and consider that Joshua has served under the leadership of Moses for over 40 years. And he's watched Moses lead, he's watched the struggles Moses has encountered. And now, as we begin the book of Joshua and Joshua, chapter one, we're faced with this reality that Joshua is now to step into this role of leadership, this role of conquest. This role that God has put him in. And if any one of us is putting ourselves in Joshua's shoes, there's a bit of anxiety associated with it. Now, we don't know exactly what emotions he was feeling at that moment. We could speculate. But what we're going to see is that the text here in Joshua 1 reveals that there is at least some measure of struggle here within Joshua based in what God himself communicates to him as they prepare to step into this new season. So I want to start in verse 1. And I'm going to read a little bit and I'm going to stop. I'm going to pray. And there's three major things that I want to challenge us with from Joshua chapter one uh, that God himself reveals to Joshua and we can learn from as well. So let's uh, let's start at verse one. Then I'm going to pray Then we're going to dive even further into scripture this morning. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses' assistant Moses my servant is dead now therefore arise go over this jordan you and all this people into the land that i'm giving to them to the people of israel every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon i have given to you just as i promised to moses from the wilderness Only be strong and very courageous, be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Father, as we go through Joshua one this morning, may you open our eyes to see the depth of your grace, your sovereignty, your holiness, that you are in control. And, Lord, that we can find our greatest lasting security in you, your commands, in you alone. Father, open our eyes to see our own fears and anxieties for what they really are. And may we leave here with a confidence that's rooted in our trust in who you have promised to be and to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look real realistically at, the, at verses 3 through 6, there's one, the, the first thing that stands out here that we can recognize in God's words to Joshua is this. God is faithful. Everyone say faithful. God is faithful to keep his promises even when his people aren't. God is faithful to keep his promises even when his people aren't. Aren't. Now to just backtrack a minute and consider the journey that the nation of Israel has been on. And if you want a, a full scope of this, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message. Because last week we went from Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy. Okay. And we highlighted this history of Israel that's super crucial to us understanding how they ended up where they are today. And what's happened is God has raised up this nation in fulfillment to the to the promise he made to Abraham. Okay, he's raised up this nation of people. And he's now brought them to the promised land. Well, where we are in Joshua, this is the second time that he's brought them to the edge of the promised land. The first time. They sent in 12 spies and they came back and said, well, it's exactly what God told us it would be, but there's these huge armies in there. We can't do this. And there was only two out of 12 spies that gave a report that said, no, no, we need to trust the Lord here. Well, what happened as a result of that is the people just desired that we're going to go back and do our own thing. We we really were better off in Egypt where we were in slavery, where uh, we were better off back there. And so God says, because you have tainted my name and rejected this promise, you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. And all of you who were here at this moment and rejected me, and I'm paraphrasing here, this is all Numbers 13 and 14, okay? Who've rejected me, you're going to die off in the wilderness, and it's your children who are going to inherit this promised land. Now, God is still faithful. To keep his promise. He promised the nation of Israel that they were going to come into this land. But there's a lesson that can be learned in here. That the fulfillment of God's promises are often not in the way that we would like them to be fulfilled. That does not mean that God is not still faithful and will not still fulfill that which he has promised to do. But another reality for us to consider here. Did you know that Joshua is one of those 12 spies who went into the land to begin with? He was one of those 12 guys who went into the promised land, who spied it out, and he came back. And he was one of only two of those spies, him and Caleb, who said, No, we have to step into what God has promised to us, because God will be faithful. We need to go in. It doesn't matter how big the armies are. If God is for us, they're they're not going to stand a chance. And it was only Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb that stood up in that way. And in Numbers 14, it said the people rallied together in order to stone them that they might raise up a leader to take them back to Egypt. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, we don't often stop and think about the fact that Joshua, even though he was faithful to what God had commanded them, he still had to wander in the desert for 40 years. Joshua still had to wander with the people and watch all of these people he knew die off because of their unfaithfulness to God. And there's a lesson that can be learned from that. Just because you root into that which God has commanded does not mean you won't experience years of wandering in the desert. And beyond that, if you spend years wandering in the desert, have God's promises changed? No, everyone say no. No, God's promises will stay the same. And God will be faithful to keep his promises even when his people are not faithful to follow his commands. God will always be faithful to who he says he is and what he says he will do. As we read the story, we see very plainly that God could have, he had every right to go back on his promise because of the people and what they did. Well, you know what? Because you've decided to take, and this is how we think, isn't it? Because you have pushed me to the side, I'm going to push you to the side. I walked with you. I showed you myself. He, he revealed himself by defeating an Egyptian army, by going before them in, in fire and in cloud, like they've seen God work. And if we read all of that and you get to this point, we can often find ourselves going, how could they do that? How could they abandon God after all that he had done? How could they go the other way and follow after their own passions and desires? And yet there's an application here, isn't there? Is this not what we do to the Lord, church? Here's a humbling reality for us to stop and consider. God brought himself into the presence of Israel and they rejected him. Yet God sent his son to not only dwell on the earth, but to pay the price for our sin. And we reject him. Every time we choose to live in our sin instead of the salvation that we've been given in Christ, we reject God's promise and the only truth that can bring us eternal hope. God's promises still remain the same. Do we walk in those promises? And this kind of leads us to our second point. Good success is rooted in godly obedience. If there's a main idea of this whole chapter of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, it's this. Good success is rooted in godly obedience. If you look at verse 7 and 8, God says, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law. Everyone say all. Success. Good success is rooted in godly obedience. Now, when we think about good success, we often think about our definition of success, don't we? Good success here in Scripture in Joshua 1 has nothing to do with Israel's way of doing things, but everything to do with obeying God's instruction for them. It has nothing to do with their way of saying, this is how I think it should be done. And time and time again, we see why. Because Israel, when left to their own devices, doing it their own way, they never do it God's way. And in fact, God made it very clear the way they were to do it. And they went the other direction. Just as you and I are so prone to do. Now, the law here, when it says, be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you, and this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Contextually, this is talking about the Levitical law that we see throughout the book of Leviticus. It's laid out there specifically. This was how the nation of Israel was to function in each scenario. This is how they were to approach sin. This is how they were to approach uncleanliness. This is how they were to approach every aspect of this. And what I like to tell people is if you ever want a good reminder to be thankful for the new covenant in Christ, go read the book of Leviticus. Because if it were not for Jesus, we would still be required to follow that. It's one of the reasons it's really important to read all of Scripture, not just the parts we like. Now, in Matthew 22, in Jesus' ministry, he's asked a question about the law, really about the greatest commandments. And Jesus summarizes these commandments... With two, he says, "Love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself." Great, I love things simplified. Does anyone else like when things are simplified for you? I love it when things are simplified. Okay, now here's the problem. How many of you have heard that statement even shortened further? Love God, love people. How many of you have heard that? Okay, when it comes to what we're called to as the church, love God, love people. Well. If that's all we take from the text of Scripture, we're left to define that ourselves. Well, here's what I think it means to love God and love people. I, I think that loving God looks like this, and it's absent of these things. And loving others really looks like this, and not, not what has always been done. Well, the problem is... <clears throat> If we recognize God is the author of truth and God has made clear what he's called his people to, then when he says love God and love people, we need to ask, how has God defined those terms? What does loving God look like to him? What does loving others look like to him? Not your own personal opinion. And as I've told you before, as I stand up here, you all should not care what my personal opinion is. And if, if me teaching you ever becomes about my personal opinion, you need to ask me to leave the stage. Because it doesn't matter. My personal opinion is irrelevant in light of God's truth. Your personal opinion is irrelevant in light of God's truth. And if we do not root into that, we open ourselves up to a relative way of thinking. And then we will never truly have a definition of what this looks like. To love God and love people, to root into what obedience looks like in God's eyes, is so much more important than being liked by other people around us. Why? Because good success is rooted in godly obedience. God's command to Joshua here is you need to be strong and be courageous and step into this with confidence. Why? Because you have been given everything you need to succeed. God has given you everything you need to succeed. Root back into that. Here's the summary of the opposite of this. You, church, you will not... Be successful at walking in God's promises if you ignore God's commands. You will not be successful in walking in God's promises if you ignore God's commands. We can see this even further in 1 John. And this, I'll be honest with you, is one of the most convicting texts in the New Testament for me when I come back to this. 1 John Chapter two. And the whole letter of first John is challenging. But it says this. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I do not like this passage of scripture. Why? Because it reminds me of how easily I become self-absorbed in what I think is best. Now, this is where contextually it's really important. It's actually in the first couple of verses in this. There's a hope in this where the writer says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And here's the truth, okay? The truth is... If you have no desire to follow after God's commands and what God has established as truth. If you have no desire to follow after that, God is not for you. I know that's a hard thing to hear. Okay. But here's why that's the case. If God, if you are not walking in step with what God has established then that means you are outside of what he has said will provide you with security and success and protection. And we cannot claim the promises of God and forsake his commands. We cannot do both. Now here's the hope in this. Because many of you, Have this tension, and I'm with you in this, where you see and you read and you hear, this is what I'm called to, and this is what I know God's word says I'm to be and to do, and how I'm to act and to live. And then over here, my flesh is strong. And I fight this back and forth between my flesh and the spirit of God. If you are not battling, that is not a good thing. If you are in a fight every single day, that's a good thing because it means the Spirit of God is present in you and is drawing you, is trying to pull you to a place where you are more like Jesus and less like yourself. Because I'm going to tell you, it's easy to sin. It is easy to sin and it is natural for us to sin. It is not hard. You do not have to try. Selfishness is not something you have to practice. And if you ever doubt that, Spend two hours with a toddler. Okay? We are prone to this. It is a fight for us to become more like Jesus. It is a fight for us to root further into what he has commanded us, rather than what we want on our own. And the the amazing thing is, when you have that tension, and you mess up, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 gives us this hope that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you ever stopped to consider that? When you come to God honestly in humility and confess sin, you don't have to wonder whether or not He's going to forgive you. If we come to Him humbly, longing, That we would rid ourselves of the selfishness, the selfish passions and pursue Jesus. There is already forgiveness for you in Christ. It has already been given to you. But we would rather. It's it's the same as the promised land for Israel was already there. It already had been given to them. All they had to do was follow after God and step into it. And it was theirs. Good success is rooted in godly obedience. Lastly, lasting strength and courage is found in God's presence. Look at verse 9 with me. This is probably the most quoted passage in all of Joshua, and we miss the rest, which is detrimental to us. But it says this, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the official, the officers of the people pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. He gives some further instructions. Jump down to verse 16 with me Do you see the correlation there between what the people longed for in Joshua's leadership and what God commanded to Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? Because the Lord is with you. The people's desire in verse 17. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Why? Why? Because lasting strength and courage is found in God's presence. We may never know the exact emotions that Joshua was feeling in that moment. We may never know exactly what fears threatened him most as he took the torch of leadership and stepped out. What we do know from God's word is that God's presence was to be the reason that Joshua was strong and courageous. This was the very thing the people desired. It was not in Joshua's own strength and leadership ability that he was to find courage. It was not in the vast amount of soldiers or quote unquote people in his corner that Joshua was to find his strength. While those are good things and can be healthy In the journey towards godliness and on this conquest that they're about to face, the very reason to be strong and of good courage and not to fear was because the Lord was with them, because the Lord was on their side. Now. There's three. I believe there's three groups of people represented here. And so I want to give some pointed application to each one of you. Some of you simply need the reminder today not to fear. Because the Lord is present. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is good. And by golly, he is in control. Goodness. Some of us have completely lost sight of that. Because our hope has been in other things. And he is in control. Amen? Do we, like, do we believe that? Some of you, that, that's simply what you need to be reminded of today. The Lord is still faithful. He is still present. He is still on the throne. One of my favorite descriptions in scripture... Is that the earth is a footstool for his feet. And I have this picture of God just resting. Everything is in control. He is not stressed out. He's not overwhelmed. I guarantee you God does not feel about everything right now as you feel. Because none of this is a surprise to him. Do not be motivated in fear, but find your strength and your courage in the presence of the Lord. Have that drive you further to Him. Some of you need a wake-up call. You may be experiencing earthly success, but you have wandered from the Lord. You feel a tension about this, but you haven't made any changes yet. This is a warning for you. Seek the Lord and do his will. Reject sin. Reject the pull of the world and your internal selfishness and pursue Jesus. It will be the only opportunity you have for lasting success. Still, some of you need an invitation because the Lord is not with you. He is not on your side because you have separated yourself from him. Time and again, you choose your sin over salvation. May you hear this today. God is a God who keeps his promises. In Christ, he promises that nothing can separate you from his love. Through Christ, God indwells us with his spirit so that we might discern with biblical wisdom how to approach the situations we face. In Christ, he promises us abundant life. Not that our life here becomes extravagant, but rather he moves us from a place of wandering to a place of purpose and mission. That we might experience lasting joy, lasting peace, and lasting life in Jesus. All he asks is that you come. That you come and surrender to him. Not just on Sunday, Not just when you open your Bible, but every single day. No matter what you are facing, no matter what you have faced, God is bigger. Our desire is that you would cling to that truth today. So here's what we're going to do, okay? We're going to practice this statement, God is bigger. And I want you to say this with boldness, okay? And we're going to do this each week because this should be our battle cry as we step into every day and face whatever trial and struggle you are facing at every age point that we can stand together, arm in arm, united in Christ and proclaim God is bigger than what I've seen in front of me. And we need to remind not only ourselves, but each other of this. So we're going to do this two times. I'm going to count to three. I want you to proclaim this strongly. Then I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to close with a song together. All right? Let's do this, church. One, two, three. God is bigger. Let's try that again. More powerful, church. It's a truth we have to grab onto, okay? One, two, three. God is Amen. Father, may we live in light of that truth today. May you reveal to us the depth of what we're really fearful of. What's truly causing us to move forward with anxiety. And instead, Lord, that we would just have a confidence that is rooted in your sovereignty. A confidence that's rooted in your holiness. That we would long to understand the command of your word and walk in that faithfully. Recognizing that any success that's lasting has to be rooted in godly obedience. Father, unite us in a way that we pursue faithfully the mission you've given to us as the bride of Jesus. Lord, help us to recognize our own weaknesses and come to you to come before your throne recognizing that we desperately need the hope of Christ today. God, I pray for the individual here who is just struggling, crippled by fear. Lord, I pray that your presence would be known in a way that maybe they haven't experienced before. And that they would say, I, I surrender to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for the brother or sister who has just wandered. And they're far from you. They know they're far from you. They don't want to be far from you. But Lord, they just haven't taken that step yet. I pray for discipline to take us that step consistently back towards your will, your purposes, and your truth. And God, I pray for all of us that we would be a people who are motivated by the truth that Jesus died and rose again, that we can have life. Life abundantly, life eternal. May that be what motivates us to live on mission, to be bold in our faith, and to become less like who we are and more like Jesus every day that you give us breath, Father, in all of this, we long for your kingdom to come. We long for full redemption and we groan with all of creation as we wait eagerly for the completion of our adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High. Until that day, Lord, keep our eyes fixated on you. For your glory, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.